Um, just want to start our scripture reading this morning out of Romans chapter 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Eli. Well, good morning. We are going to continue today the conversation we started last week talking about prayer. Poet uh, Christian Wyman once said, we live in a world designed to destroy the inner life. We live in a world designed to destroy the inner life. You may feel some of that um, in your day-to-day life. I want to suggest today that prayer is one of the primary means by which we resist those destructive forces and instead nurture the interior life, becoming the people God intended us to be. And we often talk about how the primary purpose of prayer is to commune with God, to sit with Jesus, to be led deeper into his life, and in all of that, that we might be formed into the image of Christ, or to change, as the Apostle Paul says, from one degree of glory to the next. Prayer is about communing with God, becoming like Jesus. It's not, in my opinion, about twisting God's arm or saying exactly the right things to convince God of what we know needs to be done and when and how it needs to be done, as though God needs us to inform in that way. Prayer is not an instrument of control, but an exercise of trust. Rowan Williams, the former Anglican bishop and theologian, put it this way. He said, prayer is somehow or other the territory in which our thinking about God and ourselves comes into focus. In prayer, our thinking about God and ourselves begins to change for the better. Things that were blurry begin to come into focus. Prayer begins to help us see everything in a new way. And and yes, prayer certainly changes us. And I think that is one of the primary purposes in prayer. Yet, as we have been talking about for the past couple of weeks, still we must acknowledge that Jesus himself has invited us repeatedly to ask, to present our petitions, our deepest desires, to bring that, those requests, to the Father in prayer, just as a trusting child would. So let's return to Matthew 7, this short section that we've spent the last couple of weeks looking at. I'll read through it, and then we'll continue having this conversation. Beginning in verse 7, we read this. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. 
Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? This is one of the most popular teachings on prayer that we find in the Gospels, but it can also be fairly perplexing, if I could say it, there's too many P's in that word, perplexing, maybe even discouraging. Because it seems, upon first glance, so absolute. But my guess is, if you're anything like me, my guess is that we've all had instances, maybe many, where we have asked but did not receive, where we have sought and did not find, where we have knocked and it seems as though God sees us through the ring doorbell camera but chooses not to answer. What do we do with this? What do we do when we have genuine need and ask and don't seem to receive? And maybe many who have plenty seem to keep receiving, and maybe they haven't even asked. Surely this is not an absolute promise that is made without qualification or nuance, and I want to suggest it's not. You know, I think most of you probably understand as well as I do that texts like this have been misused and in ways that turn prayer into a tool of harnessing and exercising control. Where if I follow this particular formula, any wish that I have will be granted. And to be honest with you, this has at times been an ugly part of the tradition that I come from. You might hear it referred to with a moniker like name it, claim it, theology, or, or something of that sort. And, and I want to say as clearly as possible that I don't think that's what Jesus suggests here. This is not a spiritual, open sesame, surefire way to get whatever I want when I want it. It's, it's not a magical incantation. In fact, Pentecostal scholar Chris Green said this, a God who meets us always where our de desires demand is not, in fact, the God of Jesus Christ. And I think we, we need to have that understanding as we approach any conversation of prayer. And so with that in mind, I do want to say that if your faith or if your prayer practice has been harmed in some way by a teaching that insists that God is bound by his promises to answer all of your requests immediately and in the way you think is best, or if you have felt shame or despair because you were told that if a request isn't granted, it's due to a lack of faith or it's due to sin, if your faith or practice of prayer has been damaged by something like that, I, I want to say I'm sorry. My hope, my prayer is that despite that harm and maybe despite difficulty you may have with the very notion of prayer, especially prayers of request, my hope is that you will find strength once again to wade back into these waters of intimate personal communion with God. So what do we do when we ask, as instructed by Jesus, but do not receive what we requested? Is this just a cruel joke? How do we navigate this without becoming discouraged or resentful or just abandoning it altogether? Difficult questions, ones that I don't 
propose an ans a simple answer, surely. Uh, I don't propose an answer for today, but hopefully encourage us to be willing to navigate this for the rest of our lives. I mentioned last week that prayer is a vast world, a vast world we spend the rest of our lives exploring. It is not a destination that we hope to get to. The life of prayer is not like a road trip where we have our destination in mind and if we buckle down and drive seven miles over the speed limit and take snacks but prohibit water consumption so that we can avoid unnecessary stops, we can reach our destination a few minutes before the GPS ETA that we were initially provided with. Sure, it may be a miserable trip for everybody involved, but we get there a few minutes early. Prayer is not about powering through to get to a destination that we hope to arrive at. And I think that utilitarian view of prayer will always lead to a dilapidated life of prayer, one that lacks the vibrancy of communion with God. But I think to begin discovering or rediscovering that sort of vibrant prayer life, we must first be willing to accept that prayer is a mysterious practice. It just is. It's a mysterious practice that we cannot master, and mastery is not the point. How can prayer not be mysterious? I mean, in prayer, we are exploring the depths of relationship with an eternal, limitless God. Prayer is not a formula or a technique that we master. It's a mystery we enter in order to explore the depths of life with God. And it seems like a very simple shift, but I think that simple shift in perspective is critical in our pursuit of a lifelong, joy-filled, albeit mysterious, but joy-filled practice of prayer. Because if I think prayer is a means to a particular end, or I view prayer as a secret code that unlocks a treasure chest, once I get that treasure, then I have no need for God anymore. If that's my vision of prayer, I will become disillusioned and I think eventually will probably abandon prayer altogether when I realize that it's not a surefire way to get that treasure. And I'll be honest, there have been times in my life when I have found myself in that place, disillusioned by prayer. And ultimately, I think it's because of a misguided notion I had about prayer. It is not a means to an end unless that end is life with God. But what we've been stressing over the past couple of weeks, we are instructed by Jesus that life with God includes asking him about our needs, bringing our deepest, our truest selves to the Father in prayer. Jesus says here in the Sermon on the Mount, if you ask, it will be given. If you seek, you will find. If you knock, the door will be opened. Now, we talked last week about various ways we might understand and interpret these statements from Jesus. If you missed last week and are curious, you can go back and listen to that through our podcast. We talked about some of the ways we might understand this instruction to ask, seek, and knock. But suffice it to say, and it's not just here. Even earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord's Prayer, which we said together today, we are invited to ask God for our daily bread. 
Elsewhere, Jesus said, if you say to this mountain, be thrown into the sea, if asked in faith, it will come to pass. Now, obviously, I don't think that hyperbolic image refers to hoisting a literal mountain from the Colorado Rockies over your head and tossing it like a baseball over Utah and Nevada and California into the Pacific Ocean. However, as C.S. Lewis has argued, that hyperbolic language surely can't mean nothing. It surely can't mean something altogether different than petitioning God for things that seem impossible and trusting God that if in alignment with his kingdom, we are in the process of even receiving the impossible. Ask, Jesus says, like a relentless neighbor who just won't give up. And if even a grumpy neighbor eventually acquiesces and says, okay, stop bothering me, I'll answer the door, how much more will a good father hear and respond to the prayers of his children? We also, though, must accept that Jesus models nuance. We see it in the model prayer that he provided that we prayed earlier. We prayed it together last week. Our children are exploring it, the the Lord's Prayer, throughout the summer. All prayer is uttered in the context of a longing for God's will. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Always in prayer, our ultimate desire is for God's kingdom reign to be known, and that desire undergirds any request we utter. So Jesus teaches some of this nuance. He also models it, though, in the prayer that he utters in the Garden of Gethsemane before his arrest and subsequent death. He asks the Father, let this cup pass from me. Though he expresses a desire to avoid the impending terror, ultimately he rests in a trusting confidence in his relationship with the Father. Not my will, but yours be done. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. A trust in the Father. Let's return to verse 9 from Matthew 7. I'll read it again. Or which one of you... If his son asks him for bread, we'll give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? Of course, a parent wouldn't give something harmful to a child when the child has asked for something good. But I think, as as many scholars suggest, that the inverse is also true. If a child asks for a stone, thinking it's bread, is a parent going to give it to them? Or even worse, if a child asks for something that would cause genuine harm, thinking that it's good, like asking for a serpent, thinking that it's a fish, is a parent going to give that to them? I I surely hope not. Think of a preschooler asking for candy for breakfast. Not that this has been my experience, but you can imagine. Are they asking from a genuine place of desire? I think they probably are. Does a loving caregiver acquiesce and meet that request? Of course not, because a caregiver knows that 
unrefined sugar and highly processed foods are, are not healthy for growing and developing minds and bodies. Or we might think of that recently released study that showed a strong correlation between the use of smartphones and social media and a host of really concerning outcomes among adolescents, really across the spectrum, outcomes in um, emotional, uh, educational, social um, markers. Just because a child really wants a smartphone with unfettered access to the latest app doesn't mean that's best for them or that they should automatically get it. A parent can typically see with a bit more clarity dangers that exist and work to create structures that provide some degree of protection. That's why we wear bike helmets now, right? And seat belts. Maybe not when we were growing up, but we've discovered that the outcome can be devastating. Um, and so maybe it's worth a little bit of inconvenience. But I really want candy for breakfast. I really want this device so that I can use that app. It seems like this is what is best for me in this moment because my desire for it is so strong. But a loving parent doesn't acquiesce and give something harmful just because it's the thing that is longed for. And I think the same can be said at times when it comes to our prayers of petition that remain unanswered, at least in the way we hoped they would be answered. This has been my experience. I can think of specific outcomes in my life that I prayed fervently for, knowing, I mean knowing, that it's exactly what I wanted and it's exactly what was best for me. And I was really discouraged when those outcomes didn't come to pass. But now, with the benefit of a bit of hindsight and maybe some additional maturity, now I am so thankful that those prayers were not answered in the way I hoped they would be. Because I don't always know what is best. In fact, Old Testament scholar Alec Motyer suggested that if prayer were an absolute guarantee that God was obligated to do and give exactly what we wanted in exactly the time frame we wanted it, he suggested he would never utter a prayer request again um, because he wouldn't trust his own wisdom to even know what to ask for. Prayer would become an overwhelming burden if I was sure to receive whatever I asked for, because I don't always know what is best. That's been my experience. And if that was my past experience, I'm thankful that God did not acquiesce to some of my prayer requests or what at the time was probably demands, then I have to be willing to admit that the same might be true of what I pray about today. I don't know what good might come from a negative situation that I have asked to be removed from, and maybe it's going to lead to something really rich and beautiful in my life. Conversely, I don't know what pain might come from something that in this moment seems really good and that I have a strong desire for. All of that to say, Prayers of request, prayers of petition require trust. And I also want to suggest that they nurture trust as well. 
Now, prayer is one of the means by which we participate in God's kingdom. I believe that God is still at work in our world, that, that Jesus Christ is present and active, and that his kingdom continues to break into the present moment in surprising places, in surprising ways, and ultimately one day his kingdom will be fully realized. And I think prayers, even prayers of request, help keep us attuned to that reality. But still we deal with this struggle, at least I do. If you're anything like me, you can think of dozens of requests that you have made that have remained unanswered, maybe even for years. And I get how discouraging that feels to pray, pray for a specific need and feel like all you are getting in response is silence. And then that's further complicated, I think, because it's hard to imagine that health, physical or mental health, that peace globally or peace in our relationships or life in general, that that would not be God's will. And if true, when I pray for those things, why do they seem to go unanswered? And I don't know. And I don't want this to come across as insensitive or trite because I, I get it. I am in the midst of exploring life in prayer as well, just as you are. There are situations in my life right now where I feel that, where I feel discouraged, frustrated, where I have a head full of doubts and questions. But what I'm trying to remember in my life of prayer is that if my prayers are asking God to be true to his promise to overcome evil with good, ultimately I trust that those prayers will be answered. Whether in this age or in the age to come, I trust that God will be true to those promises. And I get it, that may sound like a cop-out, but I do think it is a part of genuine Christian faith. I think it's a part of exploring life in prayer. We trust that God will rectify and restore all that is wrong in our lives and in this world. Sometimes that glorious future breaks into the present in surprising ways, in ways that seem to defy explanation, and I rejoice when that happens. I long for those unexpected signs of the visible reality of Christ's kingdom. I want to be a person of faith who is willing to ask for that, to even ask for the miraculous, for God's kingdom to break in to this present moment in that way. But here's the thing. Even if my prayer of petition is answered, so let's think about something like physical healing, which I believe is a possibility. And I believe God breaks into our present in that way. So if my request is answered, maybe even in a miraculous way, maybe in not a miraculous way, maybe in very ordinary ways, maybe healing is going to come through medical professionals, and I don't think that is in any way less miraculous than something I can't explain scientifically. But even if I experience healing in my body, my body is still one day going to break down and die. Any healing I experience today any provision I experience today is incomplete. It is limited. 
Whatever our situation, whether that is a situation of health or sickness, wherever we are on that spectrum, we all await true, complete healing and restoration when Christ returns and makes all things new. And that is our blessed hope. There are things that I pray for every day, miracles that I pray for every day, things that I plan to pray for for the rest of my life, I guess if I can remain steadfast, which remains to be seen. And I don't know that I will see the answer that I long for. Certainly, I don't know that I'll see it in the time frame that I desire. But I do trust, or I, I'm trying to trust, that my prayers for healing and maybe my emotion shows that I'm trying that I haven't arrived. But I'm trying to trust that It'll just be a moment. You guys are comfortable waiting, right? You've, you've experienced my emotion enough to, to just roll with it, so. I'm trusting that, that my prayers for restoration. The brokenness in the bodies and minds of people that I love, and, and my own brokenness, that the fractured relationships, that all of it will be rejuvenated with fresh life. God's kingdom will come. It'll be restored. All of it, as a part of Christ's promise, behold, I make all things new. So again today, I'm just going to wrap this up because I feel like I've lost it. So again today, we are invited. Invited by Jesus himself to ask. Bring our deepest selves in vulnerability to the Father. Not only to express our, our trust, but to learn how to trust. And I, I want to invite you on that journey, one that I'm on, that we might become people of prayer. So would you stand? We are going to celebrate together around the table of our Lord this meal Christ provides for us, gathering around his body and his blood, thanking Christ for the work 
that he has accomplished in his life, death, and resurrection. But not only thanking him for a past event, but clinging in this meal, clinging to hope that Jesus will restore all things. We'll make two lines down these center aisles. When you get to the front, you'll hear the word spoken over you, the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ shed for you. Would you join me at the table of our Lord? Let's pray. Our Lord, from whom all good proceeds, grant us the inspiration of your Holy Spirit that we may always think those things that are good and by your merciful guidance may accomplish the same through Jesus Christ our Lord who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Would you join us at the table of our Lord?